Transmitter device activated. Coordinates set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, a podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC multiverse and the legacy of Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Age of Comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele, and welcome back indeed. So, once again, today is a legacy episode, isn't it, Peter? It certainly is, and it's a bit of a different feel to this week's episode. Yeah. The star of many of the stories we're going to be talking about today is the daughter of an established Golden Age DC superhero. Yes. And that, of course, is Zatara. Zatara, who is he's one of DC's sort of magician, magical superhero character types. Yep. Not so much even a superhero, is he, really? Uh, magic, still, magic, still crime fighter. Magical adventurer, uh, sort yeah. of crime fighter guy. So Zatara is a contemporary of Superman. He first appeared in Action Comics issue one, published in May 1938. So he's been around for a long time. I wouldn't mind his first appearance if anyone's got a spare one. Yeah, and if you've got two, I'll, t- I'll even take the one that's lesser grade. I'm not that fussy. I just want to read the other stories. And Zatara appeared in pages of Action Comics and also in pages of World's Finest Comics throughout the, the 40s. He made his last, should we say, Golden Age appearance in issue 51 of World's Finest Comics, which was published in February 1951. So he, he outlasted the Justice Society. So he did. Which is quite exciting. Yeah. Zatara's an interesting character because he is published in the Golden Age and the kind of default sort of thinking is that if a character is published in the Golden Age they generally are seen and accepted as being having operated on Earth 2. Would you agree with that Peter? Yeah absolutely and one of the interesting things about the stories we're going to talk about today is it kind of explores that aspect of Zatara and his origins on Earth 1 and Earth 2 as well. Yeah I mean there are certain characters where, the, where it's perfectly clear that you know Jay Garrick the Flash of Earth 2 there's no question on it but there are yes. a few others and you know, we'll cover them all in due course but it's it's not as simple as that. This character we're going to talk about today is one of those ones, really. Yes, and Zatara is reintroduced through a story that has basically been referred to as Zatanna's Search. Zatanna obviously is Zatara's daughter. Yes. And no doubt we'll say the wrong name at some point. Yes. Because uh, her name indeed is Zatanna Zatara. What we're doing today is we're covering Zatanna's quest, but instead of doing a read-through of all of the, the seven comics that involve this sort of story, we'd be here all day. We're just going to be reading through some summaries which we've prepared, um, which give you a full idea of the story. Starting off with a story which is called The Girl Who Split in Two, which is from Hawkman issue four. That's the Silver Age Hawkman. Funnily enough, it's not the cover story. No, on that issue. yeah, no, which is insane. The cover story is The Machine That Magnetised Men. And it's, it's a gorgeous Murphy Anderson cover. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. He's, he's next level. Huge, huge fan of Murphy Anderson. The, the line work is just gorgeous. But the story, say, as Pete says, is the, it's the second of the two stories. The Girl Who Split in Two, which introduces the character of Zatanna, who is Zatara's daughter. And the story is by Gardner Fox, and the art is indeed by Murphy Anderson. Yeah. So, so Hawkman issue four, which was published in August 1964, with a cover date of November 1964. So the story starts off with Carter Hall at work in Midway Museum. Carter Hall being, obviously, the civilian identity of Hawkman. Betty, who is one of the guides, makes Carter aware of a statue in the Oriental Wing that she's never seen before. Carter takes a look at the rare Shang statue from the lost Chinese city of Yin and says the museum doesn't own such a thing. Then another museum worker brings in a ceremonial Celtic cup that was with other items to be carbon dated but wasn't on the list. Carter hasn't seen it before either. So Carter tells Shira, Shira, that's his, his wife, aka Hawkgirl, about the mysterious arrivals and they decide to investigate as Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Hawkman flies to China and Hawkgirl to Ireland. Hawkman arrives at the ruins of the city of Yin and has a bit of a dust-up with some Mongolian bandits who are looting the ruins. The bandits hide in a ruined building and Hawkman breaks the door down with a statue of a dog. Inside the building, Hawkman finds what he at first thinks is a statue of a girl, but then he realises she's actually alive. And this girl is Zatanna, and she's talking in a language that Hawkman can't quite understand. Hawkman flies off with the girl. 
Meanwhile, Hawkgirl arrives at County Meath in Ireland, and while she's flying over the ruins of an ancient abbey, she's fired upon by some men who are apparently on the run from Scotland Yard. And I really liked this because it, it gave it a real sort of, I don't want to say realistic, yeah, a local, you know, more international but local to us feel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was... Um, As if we were involved in the story almost. Well, yeah, it, yeah. It, it made it just sort of like, it feel a lot more grounded in some of the other comics that we've done, especially some of, the, in fact, some of the, the stories that we'll talk about further today. Hot Girl then knocks out the bad guys and discovers another Zatanna who's behaving in the same way as the one that Hawkman found. Hawk Girl takes Zatanna to the Hawk spaceship, starts analysing her using their equipment there. And then Hawkman arrives with the Zatanna that he found. The Hawks write down everything the two Zatannas said and cleverly combine them to see I am Zatanna, daughter of Zatara. I must be put together with my other half-body to be normal. The Hawks bring the two Zatannas together and Hawkman tells Zatanna they used their Absorbuscon to learn that Zatara was a famous magician who fought crime more than a decade ago. Now, this is the Hawkman and Hawkgirl of Earth 1. Yes. And they have looked up on their big clever supercomputer and established that Zatara was a crime fighter active more than a decade ago. There yes. There's no mention whatsoever of him having arrived from another Earth. There is nothing nope. to suggest that he was not active on the Earth that they were on more than, more than a decade ago. And obviously, as we said, he was last published in 1951. So this is yes. my, this is, I think... Point A or Exhibit A to sort of suggest that Zatara was in fact on Earth One. Would you agree? Uh, yes, certainly. And also remember, this is a 1964 story because obviously, as these stories go on, you'll see there's quite a gap between some of them, and this story takes place over years. Uh, Zatara says. Yes. Also, it's uh, an interesting use of the the Hawks Absorbus gone, which basically, when they came to Earth, it's what they used to dis- oh, right, to basically get all knowledge of. Of Earth. Earth culture, languages, everything. Right. It's it's the ultimate plot device. I love it. Uh, for it makes ultimate more... device for you know just advancing the plot. Yeah, it's, it's like psychic. It's like the psychic paper and Doctor Who. Pretty much. It? Yeah. yeah. I so we can do more. anything with it, really. Yeah. Zatanna so tells the Hawks that she had put the artifacts in the Midway Museum. She then explains that she'd been searching for her father and has followed in his footsteps by fighting criminals between stage engagements. Zatanna goes on to say that she had ended up splitting two and immobile after putting herself in a trance to try and locate Zatara and seeing him in China and in Ireland. And at this point in the story, there is mention of a couple of Zatara's enemies, um, the evil Lama and someone called the Druid. Zatanna used the last of her magic to send the statue in a cup to Midway, knowing that the Hawks would help. Hawkman uses the Absorbuscon to try and find Zatara, but it's unsuccessful. Zatanna worries her father is dead, but Hawkman suggests he could be suffering from amnesia. It's a lot worse than that, Hawkman. Satana leaves to continue her search, and Hawkman tells her to ask him if she ever needs help. So, that was the girl who split in two. Right, so we're now going to do the reader response to the story in issue four. This is some mail from Hawkman's Roost in issue six. Peter's going to do the first letter. Dear editor, to begin with, I'd like to say what an excellent and intriguing cover you had in the November Hawkman. The plight of the winged wonder was different, and the art great. The costume and wings didn't crowd the picture at all. He goes on to talk a bit about the first story, but then the other story, the girl who split in two, was the better of the two. In fact, it was downright superb. The story and art were at a peak of excellence. That's becoming an overworked word with me, but the possibilities of this tale are overwhelming. Yes, I want to see Zatanna again. I hope that bringing back her father Zatara, which is misspelled incidentally with two R's, mm. but do it only after a few more attempts <laughs> by Zatanna to find him. After you reunite them, I sincerely hope that you give them their own magazine or at least a tryout in Showcase. You have many good things going for them. They would be the first father-daughter crime-fighting team, to my knowledge, in comics. They would be using an all-too-rare power, magic, for their crook-busting too. I recommend Joe Kubert as the artist for this as-yet-unscheduled <laughs> mag. His dark-accented panels would give a needed mysterious flair to the stories. 
And that's from uh, future comic writer Mike Friedrich. Brilliant. There we are. And the editorial response to Mike is very short. Whether your blueprint for Zatanna's future will come to pass is something the present cannot answer. And another segment, very quick segment from one of the other letters, who's from David Moffat in Michigan. Um, he's talking about differences between Hawkman's costume, and he basically says, um, his final argument, it may point out that since Hawkman is now a full-fledged member of the Justice League of America, he's going to someday have an adventure with the original Hawkman of the Justice Society. May I further point out that, except for the circular emblem on the wing straps from the neck down, both Hawkman's are exactly alike. That's that's very true. That's fair. Yes, a counterpart in another world who's mm. just like the person. Interesting. Interesting. So Interesting. Um, we'll do another letter now. It's from Kenneth Gallagher. Kenneth writes a bit about uh, Hawkman's costume before going into the story of the girl who split in two. He then says, It didn't look too promising, but it offered everything I want in a comic story. The colour of faraway places, plenty of action, the revival of a character mm. from the past, plus a touch of the supernatural. Truly an outstanding offering. I like the idea of the winged wonders, archaeologists and their other identities, visiting famous archaeological sites in the course of their adventures. It makes little difference to me whether Zatanna comes back, but I would like to see her famous father back in action again. Surely you guys wouldn't be so cruel to leave us up in the air about that, Lama and Druid, a sinister-looking yeah. pair if I've ever seen one. It's interesting, he's making the point there, and like we said earlier, it's, it is the reintroduction of another Golden Age character. Yes. But without parallel worlds being evoked mentioned, or mentioned initially. Yeah. So that's the reaction to Hawkman 4. Next story we have is from Detective Comics. 336, Batman's Bewitched Nightmare. Yep, publication date for this one is December 31st, 1964, with a cover date of February 1965. The cover has a witch on a broomstick flying through the air, attacking Batman as Robin is shocked beside him. Into um, the story. Before we go on, Peter's not a fan of this story. No. Um, but we'll talk about that as, a bit more as we go on. <laughs> we'll f- you'll find out why. The story opens with a tiny pumpkin coach being pulled by four white mice. A witch in a broomstick flies down and transforms the coach into a car and the mice into gangsters. They are planning to rob a bank with the witch's protection but are worried that Batman will arrive. The dynamic duo are indeed on the approach after being made aware of the witch via the hotline from the police. Batman and Robin knock out the thieves but are unable to restrain them as the witch removes their sense of touch. The story continues with the witch affecting each of their other senses. The thief's car fades out as she removes their sense of sight. After following the witch into a cave, she removes their sense of hearing so they can't hear a rock fall. Batman and Robin narrowly avoid being blown up by a seepage of natural gas because the witch disturbs their sense of smell. The dynamic duo eventually find the gangster's car at a farm deep in the countryside. The witch turns Batman into a scarecrow. By taking away his taste of victory. Yeah, that was maybe the one bit that I agreed with. That's, was a, bit that's a reach. <laughs> Robin twigs that the witch needs her broomstick for her magic to work and pulls her off it with his bat rope. Batman enters the barn and sorts out the gangsters. On returning to the bat cave, a voice emanates from the broomsticks revealing that the outsider was responsible for everything and emphasised that there are no such things as witches or magic and that she was a woman... He singled out to be his agent. I didn't mind this story. For, you know, before, before you, when we were talking about it and doing a prep for this one, I kind of got the sense that, you know, this was going to be the worst story ever. I think it's obviously it's because it's... It's got nothing to do yeah. with this story. It's it's a bit irrelevant. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I thought, you know, it was interesting. Some really nice artwork, mm. like the, the cave scenes and stuff are gorgeous. The, yeah, the all, stuff all, don't get me wrong. Yeah, it all looks great. It, it just makes, makes no sense in the context of the overall story. Yeah. Listener. 
Do not worry, this will be explained <laughs> in probably our first ever big retcon. Yes. That will yeah. ever come. Yeah. Retcon stands for retroactive continuity, where yep. basically uh, things in a previous story are explained in a different way or kind of added to in a subsequent story. Mm-hmm. That's This is going to be your first example of that, because basically there is no Zatanna, there is no Zatara as far as we That's can right. see in this story. Yep, yep. There key, is, however... Key words as far as we can see. Yeah. yeah. There is, however, a mention of the outsider. Tell us very quickly who the outsider oh, was. Oh, dear, to have to. Yeah, just quickly. Uh, Alfred, <laughs> Alfred died. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it gets, it gets better. Right. But not before it becomes a superpower being called the Outsider. All right. Uh, and it was an evil superpower being called the Outsider. Okay. And it is as ridiculous sounding as that. Okay. No one really looks back in that period with fondness. Right. Occasionally, <laughs> occasionally you see the Outsider being written into, you know, alternate universes and stuff. Oh, yeah. Was he, was he in Flashpoint? He was in Flashpoint. Right. Yeah, I think, Do you I think that. James Robinson wrote that in yeah, Flashpoint? Rings it's, a bell. it's actually quite good. But this version of the Outsider is, is no. Uh, <laughs> another reason why I'm really not a fan of this story. Right. We shall, we shall pull a veil, draw a curtain around it. Yeah. Moving on swiftly to the next Yes. There's no point looking at reader reaction because there isn't any yeah, from, from this one. There's was, no letters there was, pages. There's probably lots of swearing yeah. to go by. So yeah, <laughs> the next story we're, we're going to cover is called World of the Magic Atom. And it's from issue 19 of the Atoms comic which was published in April 1965 with a cover date of July 1965. The Atom obviously being the size-changing Justice League of America member, who I'm a big fan of. Yes. Me too. We've talked about this before. There was an issue of DC Comics Presents mm-hmm. that he was in that I remember having when I was really young. And do you know what? One of the very first American superhero comics I had was that issue of Justice League of America where Ray Palmer and Gene Loring get married. I always remember that lineup of all the superheroes in their civilian gear, but with, yeah. the, with their superhero shadows. Yes, yes, I yeah, and that always yeah. struck, struck me. I've this always stayed in my mind. And it makes sense for this uh, Zatanna's search to continue in the Atom because obviously the Atom and Hawkman are good pals, and eventually their books merged. So I'm now going to walk us through issue 19 of the Atom. Before we went any further, the artwork in this is just gorgeous. It's beautiful. Yeah. Bill Kane is absolute peak in my in my humble opinion. So, four criminals in Ivy Town find they can walk through the walls of the National Trust Bank and rob it to the tune of $300,000. Ray Palmer hears a radio bulletin saying the police have appealed for the Atom to contact them. And as the Atom, he calls police headquarters and leaps there down the phone line. The police explain that there was no sign of how the robbers got in and out, say this will be a difficult case. But somehow, the Atom can see the crooks in his mind's eye. The police are impressed at the Atom's deduction and Ray admits to himself that it seems more like magic. He arrives at the crook's hideout and takes them all out with the aid of some kitchen appliances and fittings and the police arrive to take them away. There is an amazing bit when Ray uses a toaster and sort of fires himself at someone. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, yes. it really highlights the cool stuff that you can do with that character if you just use your imagination. Absolutely, yeah. So, in his laboratory, Ray makes a change to his size and weight controls. He then gets a phone call from someone who explains they enabled the robbers by magical accident. Of course, it's Satana and she appears in Ray's lab. Ray says that Hawkman had mentioned her. And Zatanna explains that she is still searching for her father and how a spell she cast created an occult disturbance that affected the walls of the bank. Zatanna tells Ray that when she cast the spell, she had a vision of a book and magically made the book appear. She explains that the book belonged to Zatara and that she believes he is inside it in a subatomic world. Zatanna asks Ray to help her and after Ray explains the limit of his powers, Zatanna creates a version of her costume from the white dwarf material the Atom's uniform is made of. They start to shrink into the book. We then get an absolutely gorgeous splash page of yes. them 
doing such a thing, shrinking past like you know, it's a subatomic realm. Yeah, it looks like planets and moons and stuff with the beautiful sort of co-centric, differently coloured circles that we've come to associate with Superman's time travel. travel. Really, yeah, yes. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. They reach the subatomic world and we see a bald man in a purple cloak. Zatara asks him if he has heard of Zatara and he directs them to the red hill of Tara beyond the great blue forest. After Atom and Zatara fly off, the man says, I have done as you ordered, Druid. I have dispatched them to you. So this is obviously the Druid who got mentioned in the Hawkman story. The Druid is seen in his castle on the red hill and I'm going to read out the full caption that says here, In a great stone chamber, High on the red hill of Tara stands the dwelling place of the master of Eldritch wisdoms and lord of all enchantments. It's he who rules the world of Catamore. For this is the druid, in robe and mistletoe wreath, with golden sickle and bronze trumpet, he possesses the dark wizardries of the ancient mages. By crystal ball or chip of bat, he's uncovered the secrets of this alien world he has taken for his own. This is so different from the normal Atom Fair, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Which is normally yes. sort of quite... Very science-y. It's a science fictional, mm-hmm. sort of almost procedural. Mm-hmm. So the druid remembers a battle with Zatara, who he refers to as his arch-foe. For Zatara had trailed the druid to Katamur, the subatomic world. The druid had learned to transform the people who lived there into energy beings and to use the radiation they gave off, in turn, to absorb Zatara's powers. The druid banishes Zatara to a realm you never even knew existed. The druid brings to life a flying lizard painted on a bowl to fight the atom. So we have a couple of pages of Ray fighting this giant flying lizard. The atom defeats it by shattering the bowl. Zatanna magics the druid's castle to come to life and he is caught by giant hands that grow from the walls. This looks amazing, it's so cool. However, the druid is absorbing Zatanna's magic. She collapses after he absorbs lightning that she throws at him. Atom attacks the druid and knocks him out, releasing energy beings that reform back into the Catamore people. The druid recovers, but Atom tricks him by getting Zatanna to use a stage trick involving playing cards. This essentially makes the druid blow a fuse after trying to absorb the pseudo magic, so it's stagecraft rather than actual magic and he can't handle it. So the druid is defeated and the natives restored. Atom and Zatanna attempt to reverse her side control to return home. Zatanna appears to blow up and a dejected Atom returns home and finds Zatanna safe because she used her father's magic book to blast herself home. She vows to continue her search. So what do you think of that then, PC? Any thoughts on the Atom story? Yeah, I enjoyed it. The artwork was, was fantastic. Yeah, mm. it's so, so good. Yep. Uh, Gil Kane's just phenomenal. Yep. I love the sort of the shift from sort of the police procedural almost sort of stuff at the start into, mm-hmm. you know, wow! way out sort of fantasy stuff I haven't read a lot of Atom for a very long time but I thought that was cracking I really really enjoyed it I've always liked the, the Atom bad guys they don't get a lot of uh, a lot of play with people like Tronos and mm. Plantmaster and mm. uh, the bug-eyed bandit yeah uh, I always like so him in cool. the appear, so it's great yeah so now we're going to look at some highlights from the letters page from issue 21 Inside the Atom, the Atom yep. that's the title of the letters page from the first letter dear editor blah 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 most impressive was Atom's newfound friend and ally Satana beautiful Daring, immediately likeable, she makes a great little gal who, much like Mary Poppins, combines her magic with a very human, if tragic personality. The idea of Gardner Fox dropping the hint that Mrs. Zed will visit other comics is not only ingenious but warranted. Roving heroes, as well as villains, will do much to bring togetherness to your comics. But aside from Zatanna, the thing that impressed me most was the splendid artwork of that Kane Green team. It seems to me that these two work themselves to frenzy on their widespread full lengthers put themselves out and end up spending an intervening months merely preparing themselves for the oncoming big one. Um, lovely. It's from Paul Belusky. Yep, from Manchester, Connecticut. Like the Mary Poppins you alluded to, our gal Zatanna will be merrily popping into other DC books from time to time and from issue to issue. Keep your eye out for her here, there and everywhere, says the editor. Wow. I wonder if that's where Paul McCartney got the idea for that song title from. <laughs> Maybe I'll be. So, the next letter is from Mike Friedrich. Again, yep. there we are. Dear editor, mixing sorcery with science has always been a good springboard for stories and Gardner Fox has created an excellent one from it for the July Atom. 
the mere presence of Satana, I really dig magic characters, made this issue extraordinary, but combining this with very well written action scenes and character development, especially that of Satana's search for her father, made this the second best Atom story yet. Second only to mm. the team-up novel with Hawkman back in issue 7. Interesting. He goes on to talk about Gil Kane's art and then says, Getting back to Zatanna, we know that our father Zatara was sent somewhere implied not to be Earth. I'm looking forward to the hinted meetings with Flash, Green Lantern and the Justice League of America. I suppose she'll be looking in Earth 2. Interesting. With the Scarlet Speedster. Then search via the Green Lantern Interstellar Organisation and finally I predict the Magic Maiden will finally... Find her illustrious father in the magic world that appeared in JLA number two. Ah. And the editorial response for that. So much for the rave reviews of issue 19. Now in line with our fair-minded balancing routine, we offer an adverse report in the next letter, which starts off enthusiastically enough, and then a wham! It still left us reeling. So, dear editor, after reading the first 21 pages of The World of the Magic Atom, I could not believe my eyes, but upon checking the bottom of the first page and looking at my calendar, I realised that it was actually true. A story on par with the finest Golden Age stories had actually been published in a 1965 Atom. Here in one story were all the elements which made DC famous during the 40s. Not only was the artwork superb, but the daring style and beautiful colour work actually lent an atmosphere of mystery to the scenes in the magical world. Not only did you feature a guest heroine, but you also mentioned the previous story and gave a hint of things to come, lending an aura of continuity to the story and legend of Zatanna. The story was excellent, the use of magic being a welcome change, from the overabundance of space villains, and the most masterful touch of all, those three scenes with Zatara. Could I help thinking I was in the Golden Age? Yes. Those 21 pages were among the finest I've ever read in a comic book. That's high praise, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. But, you say the story had 25 pages. Unfortunately, it did. The last two pages were fine and merit-only praise. However, in the course of those other two pages, 22 and 23, you managed to take a story which was a sure candidate for Story of the Year and reduce it to a typically mediocre 1965 plot. What caused this terrible transformation? It was your pitiful attempt to introduce some pseudoscience into the plot. Why did the Atom have to defeat the Druid by using some non-magic element to which the villain's magical body had no tolerance and which therefore naturally caused suspended animation? What nonsense and completely unnecessary. Since you make it, I'm laughing at you laughing there. Since the Atom returned the energy beings to their natural forms, the Druid should have lost his absorbing power. And while Satana kept him busy with her magic, the Atom could have knocked him out with a solid blow on his not-so-magical jaw. That's kind of what I was expecting myself, to be yeah. honest. That would have been a 1940s ending to a 1940s tale, and that's from Andrew Fracnois, the Bronx, New York. Well seen he's from the Bronx. Yep. He wants a sock in the jaw. Yep. <laughs> I don't think he wants one, but that's, that's his wanted to see in his fiction. Um, you want a sock in the jaw. <laughs> a bunch of fives. And the editorial response is, You have a point, and you sure stuck us with it, says the editor. Short and to the point. Awesome. Right, so we now move on to Green Lantern issue 42, with a publication date of November 25th, 1965, with a cover date of January 1966, for a story called The Other Side of the World. The story begins with a panel showing a ruined building in the coastal regions of Brittany. That is thought to be part of the legendary drowned land of Is. I was, I was thinking Yes. 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 Yeah. It's basically Yes without an E. Yeah. So anyway. Okay. Or Yes. <laughs> yes. We see a Roman centurion being chased to the ruin where he disappears in a burst of blue flames. The tribesmen who are after him observe what a sorry fate to be spirited away by the fire demon. Then, centuries later, we are shown a knight in armour in a fight at the ruin and he also falls into the blue flames as his enemy says, Ha! The dweller in the flames shall finish him off for us. 
We are told about others this has happened to. Warriors and maidservants, highwaymen and knaves, knights and peasants have all been summoned by that eerie azure blaze which lives within the ruins of Is. And in the panel we have the azure flame indeed and floating heads of people that have been summoned to it and yeah, there's like, you know, been different types of people, armor and people throughout history. Yeah. There's one that also actually looks a bit like Thor from Marvel there. So yes, it's uh, an indiscriminate flame, really. In the present day, Satana is shown at the ruin, casting a spell, ordering the blue flame of his to take her too, but something seems to go wrong. The action cuts to Ferris Aircraft, where Hal Jordan and Tom are about to go on a fishing trip. Carol Ferris asks Hal to accompany her into town to collect the payroll money, but also tells him about a radio report saying that Coast City is being robbed by a fantastic pirate. Mm. Hal knows he has to deal with the pirate as GL, and Tom offers to go with Carol instead, saying Hal is tired. Hal changes into his uniform and charges his power ring, but for some reason, as he says his oath, the words come out backwards. Green Lantern flies to the city and fights with Patch Eye Pete, no relation, for a few pages. <laughs> GL is surprised when the pirate's yellow sword shatters against his power ring shield. He wonders if someone has helped him secretly. Patch Eye Pete flies over the sea and GL chases after him. Pete fires at GL and the gun shoots spinning metal flower petals, which GL's power ring net won't stop. Instead, Green Lantern lifts the wreck of a sunken ship from the seabed to stop them. That was, I thought that was crazy when I was reading it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of bonkers. It, because it cuts just from the, here's how with a net to catch the spinning flower petals and then all of a sudden there's a blooming, a sunken <laughs> ship come out of nowhere. It was crazy. That's it. Their flight has evidently taken them across the Atlantic because they're suddenly at the ruined building we saw at the start of the story. Pete stands in the ruins and GL flies down to him only for a blue flame to burst out of Pete, whose body dissipates in a titanic blast. GL finds himself in a colourful circular corridor that again is very like the Superman time travel effect. He hears a voice and is met by Zatanna. Zatanna recaps her adventures with Hawkman and the Atom, doesn't mention Batman, uh, and tells GL that her search for her father has led to Iz. Satana explains that Iz was created at the Big Bang and is in a cosmic cloud, exists in an eternal present and is occupied by Earth people brought there by the Blue Flame. The only original occupant is the Warlock, a Master Mage. We see the Warlock can see Earth via his magic mirror and, craving new sensations, creates Patch Eye Pete to go after Green Lantern and bring him to Iz so that the Warlock can use GL's ring to cross over to Earth. It was Satana who made Hal say his oath backwards and helped him overcome the Yellow Blade. GL agrees to help Satana stop the Warlock and she wafts them through the barrier into Iz. GL's ring flies off his hand as Zatanna realises the Warlock has cast a spell to steal it. And GL can't will the ring back on his hand, but Zatanna discovers the magic works if she says her words forwards and is able to stop the ring flying off. The heroes are then set upon by an army of the Earth people who have been transported by the Blue Flame. Zatanna's magic holds them off, but the Warlock summons an army of spirit demons of his universe to attack the heroes too. GL's ring won't work until he moves it to his left hand and they're able to hold off the attack. GL flies Zatanna to Warlock's castle. Zatanna tells the Warlock she's after information on her father but he refuses to cooperate. Green Lantern tries to use his ring to force him but the magic is too strong. Warlock says that if Green Lantern gives him the ring he will tell Zatanna what she wants to know. And Green Lantern agrees promising not to trick Warlock by giving the ring any instructions. He is very emphatic on this. 
Warlock explains that he was friends with the Druid, and it was natural to banish the Taratis, where he'd be powerless. The Warlock had been building a crystal ball from a rare element that would allow him to enter Earth. Satara found out what he was planning and confronted Warlock. A panel shows Satara and the crystal ball disappearing in a burst of enchanted power. Warlock tells how he'd questioned the demons of the Dark World for any sign of Zatara in one of their universes to no avail. Which I loved as a tiny little sort of incidental detail and yeah. you know, which just opens up the scope. Absolutely. Warlock now has Green Lantern's ring though, and he orders it to take him to Earth, but the ring floods him with magical energy that freezes him rigid. Zatanna had given the ring an order, picking up on a hint from Green Lantern. The warlock is defeated, his power broken for all eternity. Green Lantern and Zatanna offer to take the transported Earth people home, but they decline. Their family and friends are long since dead, and in Is, they can live forever. GL and Zatanna return through the gateway. Zatanna determines to figure out what happened to her father and the crystal ball, and GL tells her to call on him if she needs help. Fantastic. That's an absolute epic. Yeah, a magical adventure for Green Lantern. Yep. Unusual. So let's have a look at some reader reaction to this from Green Lantern's Mail Shoots, uh, the interestingly titled uh, <laughs> page from Green Lantern issue 45. It's, they'd really just phoned that one in, didn't they? Yeah, because okay. um, it doesn't doesn't fit at all. I mean, it's okay. one thing I always loved about Marvel Comics growing up was reading... Let's they, rap with caps. Yeah, but they always had competitions to, yeah. you know, what, what are we going to call the letter column? Mm. So when I'll do the first letter, I want to do it in my particular voice, but I'll refrain. Dear editor, the other side of the world's Green Lantern 42 was another perfectly drawn, written and edited story which rated very high on my list. The cover was another Gil Kane masterpiece with a brown-black background, Scarlet Villain enlarged to spirit-like appearance, and Green Lantern fighting all those little spooks and goblins. Percentage, this, I mean, this, this kills me now, listeners. Percentage-wise, this story rated 95% with me. I arrived at this figure by dividing the story into three parts, the work of the author, artist and editor, and then averaging the individual score of each. Gardner Fox captured a 94% grade in this superbly written story, which didn't have a dull moment to it. To be honest, I don't see how Fox does it. What with his turning out all the portions of Flash, Batman, Atom, Hawkman, Justice League of America, Elongated Man, Golden Age Revivals, etc. Point two. Golden Age Revivals? Well, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay, mm. okay. Because mm. I mean, we are skipping ahead. Broadly speaking, we're doing this chronologically, but this Green Lantern was published, as we say, late 1965. But in the main body mm. of the podcast, we're still in 1964, aren't we? Yeah. So... We're taking it all from when the first publication of the Hawkman story. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the letter continues. Gil Kane and Sid Green can boast a 97% score. Indeed, of all the DC mags that appeared in December, this one top rating. I mean, I love this. This guy's probably sat at home. With charts. Yeah. Oh, God. He makes me seem as if I've got a chance in hell. He's just waiting for Twitter to happen, yeah. isn't he? I can tell. Point three. The editor scored 94% on this issue. This sounds like Roy Thomas wrote it, but it's not. Although he never would have made it without Zatanna, this maid of magic is one of the most colourful besides beautiful characters to appear in your magazines for some time. She's the only rotating character you have. That means that she turns through 360 degrees every scene she's in. Very good. Nearly all my letters to GL are rave ones since I consider it the perfect magazine. For this reason, not being able to find anything wrong with your mags, that's something Roy Thomas says all the time, isn't it? Mags. So it's nice to know that Roy wasn't in a vacuum, (laughs) that there were other people that talked like this. I become furiously disgusted with myself, so I was determined to find something wrong with this ish. But after going over and over the story, I've produced but one mistake. On page 19, when you have the Warlock's warriors charging through the wall, jail erected as a protection, you have an Indian charging through along with Roman legionnaires, Vikings, knights, etc. My question is, how did this lone Indian get across the Atlantic? Surely he didn't paddle his canoe all that distance? 
Mike Flesher, Arlington, Texas. And the editorial response is... That misplaced Indian might have been brought back to England by one of its 16th century explorers. But if you refuse to go for that explanation, we'd just as soon have you knock another percentage point off our overall 95 rating. <laughs> Get the point, says the editor. Terrific. Right, and the next letter. Dear editor, the January Green Lantern was excellent. This mag has been improving tremendously. The cover was excellent. I can't seem to find any other adjective. With the best layout in many a cover. The cane green combinations display some real talent and marvellous perspective, especially in the splash panels. Bringing Zatanna back added some zest to the plot, as the evil magician is very old stuff. Zatanna searching for her lost father is the best thing you've got going for you in quite a while, but please don't overdo it. I think that in another year she should find him with one of your DC heroes' help. But her next guest spot is in a flash issue. Keep up the good work on GL. If ever the story plot is low, the artwork is a good reason to buy and keep buying Green Lantern. So says Don Foots of Johnston, New York. And we'll come to the last item we're going to take from this issue of Green Lantern. And it's from our old pal, Bob Butts. Yes. Hi, Bob. Great that Bob Butts is back. Dear editor, the more I see of Zatanna, the more I like her. Whatever she turns up, you can bet your last power ring that's where the action is. The other side of the world proves it. Zatanna and Green Lantern, the magical miss comes first because she, not the hero of the moment, is the real star put up an epic battle against the warlord. Like the song says, more. As you can see, I'm quite enamoured of the pretty, oh, good grief. Pressed digitator. Yes, that's what she is. And I'm sure I'm not alone. It's because of this, though, that I'm hoping Zatanna's search for her father ends in failure. Or, come on, Bob. Zatara, who seemingly blazed the trail to oblivion, was good in his prime, but time has proven that Zatanna is more than an adequate successor to her father. To revive him now would tarnish the image of both. I only hope you agree, Bob Butts, South Bend, end. We're leaving ourselves to the dictates of our readers. They shall decide the burning issue of whether Satana finds her father and teams up with him or goes it alone, says Erisa. I find it interesting that Bob's referring to Satara. Obviously, he was a reader of Satara yes. uh-huh. back in the day. Uh-huh. Uh, no letter from Mike Friedrich in this, this issue. I'm actually slightly disappointed. But hey, there we go. Zatanna's search continues. Yep, it continued, and the next time we saw her was in issue 355 Detective Comics, published in July 1966, with a cover date of September 1966. And it's not in the Batman story, but in the Elongated Man backup strip. Yes. In a story called The Tantalising Troubles of the Tripod Thieves. And it kicks off. Two thieves who've robbed a jewel salon in Rover City suddenly find themselves floating through the air. They float past Elongated Man Ralph Dibney, who's in his car. Ralph gets into costume and stretches up to try and restrain the two men who explain they've just robbed the shop, but have no idea what's happening to them. Each time Ralph tries to pull the two thieves back down, they start to pummel him with their fists. The men protest that some force is making them do it. The elongated man manages to knock the two men out. But even then, one of them punches Ralph out, and the two thieves float off again. Ralph wakes up and sees that the jewel thieves left their loot behind. He picks up the pearls and notices they glow if he moves them in the same direction the jewel thieves floated away in. He decides to follow the path of the glowing pearls. The two thieves find themselves at Fantasy Props Inc, where Satana is waiting for them. She had gone there to buy the Golden Ting tripod, only to find it had been stolen. She used her magic to find the thieves and draw them to her. The thieves say that the tripod is made of iron, but Satana explains its true origin as being made by Chinese sorcerers. Marshall Maitland, the owner of Fantasy Props Inc., overhears all this and pulls a gun in Zatanna just as she tries to use her magic to try and take her and the thieves to the tripod. The owner wants the tripod for himself. Gasp. Elongated man is outside the shop and his thoughts reveal he is aware of Zatanna and her search for her father. And 
that she has had help from Hawkman, Atom and Green Lantern. No mention of Batman. He reaches in and knocks the gun out of Maitland's hand and then stops the jewel thieves from running away. Satana pulls a judo move on Maitland. Many skills. Uh, And she realises the copy of the I Ching he had on him was interfering with her white magic. Satana propels Maitland into the crooks. Satana and Ralph confer and Satana says she will use the black magic of the I Ching and the Ting tripod to penetrate into the dark realm where she believes Satara is. Ralph offers to go with her but Satana insists she must go alone saying no normal human could exist there. At home, Ralph explains to Sue, his wife, that Maitland had been a fence for stolen goods using his prop shop as a cover. He would have disposed of the pearls the two thieves had stolen. Ralph bought Sue the pearls as a memento. I thought reading that one, I was struck by Carmine Infantino drew it and it's, it's a much looser style compared to what we've seen in the Flash stories that we've covered. Yeah, it's a bit more like his later style. Mm. It's a bit more fluid. Yeah. He, he kind of does that, he switches it up a wee bit when he's doing Ralph Yeah, uh, because he, he has more fun with the character whereas Flash is more kind of sciencey and exact whereas Ralph yeah. is he's a goofier looking He's a character. bit less precise. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think it's a good movie. And it's, and it's so, good because I love Carmine's work generally, mm. you know, especially in The Flash, but it was really like the stuff that he was turning out in the 70s. You know, uh-huh. It reminded me of stuff like his work on Nova and Star Wars from Marvel. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. It didn't look like proper sort of Carmine. Yeah, his, his art did switch up. Uh, yeah. He was doing a lot more. Mm-hmm. And he did do things a lot looser. Especially when you see when he comes back to The Flash to finish yes. off the Flash run. It's a, a marked difference from yes. his original Flash run. Definitely. But it's amazing that he actually bookended the series beginning to end. Yeah. But that's a story for much later <laughs> on. There's no letters or reader reaction we've got for this one, so we'll just move on to the final part. Yes, the final part of Zatanna's Search from Justice League of America, issue 51. Publication date December the 13th, 1966, and a cover date February 1967. So we're a good couple of years ahead of where we normally are in the continuity. And this story is called, I'm just going to have to say it in American, aren't I? Z, as in Zatanna, and Zero Hour. Zero Hour. Oh, gosh. That's a different podcast entirely. Yes. Okay. Right then, deep breath, everyone. Deep breath, Peter. Okay, go for it. Justice League 51. A backward-speaking voice emanates from a crystal ball in Justice League of America headquarters and summons Green Lantern, Hawkman, the Atom, Batman and the Elongated Man. Zatanna appears from a cloud, thanks the heroes for their help in finding her father Zatara. The heroes are surprised because their early attempts had all failed, and in Batman's case, he has never even met Zatanna. Isn't that right, Peter? Yes, they have not met. Yes. This is important. Uh-huh. Zatanna tells them how she found the Sword of Paracelsus who was a physician of the Middle Ages who dabbled in black magic, apparently. She found it in an antique shop in Vienna. Zatanna senses her father's personal aura from the sword. She commands the sword to tell her what it knows of Zatara, and the face of Allura appears in the hilt handle and tells Zatanna that Zatara had used the sword when he fought his last and greatest foe, the one who doomed him to roam forever away from Earth. Allura says she is an elemental who lives in the sword, and if Zatanna released her, Allura could use Zatanna as a host, and then Allura could take Zatanna to her father. Got that? Sure. Yep. To carry this out, Zatanna will need the I Ching and the Ting tripod, and there is a flashback panel with Elongated Man. On Halloween, Zatanna performs the spell, and Allura leaves the sword instantly. Zatanna is transported with Allura telling her, I'm taking you to the land of Karma, the last refuge of Zatara. As soon as she arrives, Zatanna is set upon by the beast men of Belfagor. Zatanna tries to stop them by animating trees and then tries to dispose of them with a whirlwind. Elsewhere, we see the hands of someone weaving a spell against Zatanna. The beast men start to break free, and Allura's voice alerts Zatanna to those awesome bell sounds, 
which we see are coming from bells around the horns on the bull beast men, and that they will weaken her. And we see in panels giant bong sound effects. Very visual. Satana suddenly thinks of the heroes who had all helped her, and she summons Hawkman, Atom, and Green Lantern to fight the beast men. She doesn't summon Batman at this point, but you can see him in the last panel of page six, which is an interesting continuity (laughs) mistake. I would have had a few words with the editor. <laughs> a few pages of the heroes and the beastmen fighting before the heroes are successful and Zatanna clarifies that these are magical counterparts so they're not the actual heroes. As Zatanna and her allies head off to search for Zatara, we see him making magic and saying, I must defeat Zatanna in her attempt to reach me. If I fail, but I must not permit myself to think of that disaster. That panel is absolutely astounding. Isn't it? It's yes. gorgeous. It's incredible. It's how you introduce a character. It's beautiful. We see Zatara summon his ancient enemy, Amenhotep, an evil Egyptian wizard. He sends Amen to halt Zatanna using his ancient parchments as weapons. Zatanna and her pals are confronted by a giant Amenhotep who brings painted figures and his parchments to life and sends them to attack the heroes. And there's a nice moment with Hawkman fighting an Egyptian chariot, which I thought was a nice little reference. Mm -hmm. Green Lantern is ring trouble, but the Atom takes three guys out in quick succession. Amenhotep hurls some parchment at Zatanna, wrapping her in them. Allura complains she has been weakened, and then Zatanna summons Batman and the Elongated Man. At this point, back in Justice League headquarters, Batman interjects and says that he has never met Zatanna, but Zatanna explains that they met when she had come to Gotham, disguised as an old woman, to see if the outsider had any info on her father, and ended up being compelled by the outsider to obey him. Zatanna had given Robin the idea to overcome her by grabbing the broomstick. Batman is impressed, and I was impressed. Were you impressed? No. <laughs> Pete hates it. We'll get on to the reasons Batman's <laughs> in this story after this. Oh, amazing. Story. Back to the story, and the summoned Batman rips away the parchment Zatanna is caught in, and the elongated man stretches up to punch out Amen and grab his parchments. The fight against the parchment people continues until Batman has a realisation. The others think he's lost it, but Batman draws their attention to the bell sounds from the bull men, compares the parchment he tore from Zana to a book, and then points out the giant candle that acts as a sun in karma. And we see them beholding a giant candle in the, the horizon there. It's fantastic. Hawkman says, Bell, book, candle. The rite by which demons are exercised out of a person's body. Then there must be a demon inside Zatanna. Zatanna has not heard this discussion and is alarmed as one of the parchment people starts to carry her off, asking the heroes, Help me, why are you abandoning me? The heroes hope Batman is right. Zatanna narrates as the parchment people take her aboard their solar boat, and then take her up to the candle. Zatanna is thrust into the flame, and with a scream, Allura is driven from Zatanna's body. Green Lantern lifts the others up so they can see what's happening. Hawkman realises that it was Allura the forces of Karma were fighting all the time, and then Elongated Man spots another Allura, and this one is blonde and wearing and dressed in white, unlike the original who's all dressed in black. The new arrival declares, Now, my evil other self, you are done with. The other one says, Foolish sister, I hate you for the good that is in you. Once I defeat you, nothing in Karma or Earth can stop me. The two Alluras fight and Hawkman rescues Zatanna from the candle. Evil Allura surrenders and good Allura tells her to remove the cuss she put in Zatara. She does and Zatara appears through a burst of energy. Father and daughter are joyously reunited. Zatara explains that Allura had cursed him when she had imprisoned her in the sword. From hence you shall not see your kin, nor speak to her, let curse begin. No sight, no sound shall you then have, else curse shall take you to the grave. Zatara explains that he couldn't have stayed on Earth as it would have put both him and his daughter at risk. He took himself off to other realms, hoping to find a good Allura to help overcome the curse. He did, in Karma. He explains that he had to try and stop Zatanna finding him in Karma because of the curse and was glad when Batman twigged about Bell, Book and Candle. There's a bit of chat about why Green Lantern's ring didn't work and then did work and then back at JLA HQ it smiles all round as Zatanna tells the lads that they now know why she insisted in thanking them. Hawkman points out that he's never met Zatara, and then Zatanna magics him there. 
So Tara offers his thanks as we finish in a slightly creepy panel where the two magicians say they're going to spend some time getting reacquainted. The father and daughter musician. yes. musicians. Yes. Father and daughter <laughs> magicians. So, yes, that was the end of the search. She found her dad. She did. Hooray! The Tara is back. Yep. And there is not a single mention of anything about him having migrated from one earth to another. No. Peter's going to talk about the Batman detective comic story now, aren't you, Pizza? Yes. Now, there is absolutely no inkling... <laughs> Of Zatanna in that story. Also, mm. oh, you're you're right. Also, you're absolutely right. the witch in that story did not use powers in the way that Zatanna uses powers. That's right. Yep. There's no backwards magic. That's now, right. However, this came out. This uh, issue came out at the end of 1966. Yep. And for the entirety, pretty much of 1966, the biggest show on television was a little show called Batman. Mm-hmm. And basically, DC had been milking Batman everywhere. Uh, to try and, you know, sell more comics, as you would. Yeah, quite right. And funnily enough, considering he's got quite a small presence in this issue, the biggest figure on the cover of Justice League of America number 51 is Batman. You yeah, think he's a star. It's grotesque, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are more more egregious juices. We didn't really describe Batman. the cover. We probably should have done before we started the story. It mm. has the atom standing on the candle and Satana is sort of caught in, in the flame. And yeah. Ralph Didney is reaching up and holding Batman as if he's trying to pull Satana out of the flame. I think if we had done that, it would have given away part of the, the plot. The ending, yeah. It might have lessened the... the I think if I'd really paid attention mm. to the cover, it might have lessened <laughs> the surprise of when the candle actually rocked up. But it, certainly, it Batman is the predominant figure on the cover. Definitely. Also, one thing we didn't mention is Elongated Man, not a Justice League at this point. He's yes. He's just a guest star. It's ages before he's in the Justice League. Yeah. And we'll tell you when that happens, mm. when it happens. So basically, as I said, DC are trying to put Batman into everything, or at least Batman's image into everything. So that integration of Zatanna into the Detective Comics is a completely egregious retcon. There is nothing, nothing <laughs> about that story yeah. that deserves Satana to be in it. It's yeah. just someone thought, how can we get Batman in this? Oh, look, there's a witch in that one. Could that be Satana? Sure. Yep. There we go. <laughs> Rant over, as they say. But no, Rant it, over, It, it yes. was a really good story, wasn't it? It kind of combined the flavours of some of the other ones that we'd had. And it was a great e- story. Equally could, out there in yeah. places. And If you'd removed the Detective Comics chapter, it's a fantastic story. Yeah. No, I was just meaning the Justice League issue. Oh, the Justice League one. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a good way to wrap it all up. Yep. It's a couple of years now in the future where we are with the timeline in the main podcast, when the main podcast we're only just sort of finished in 64. Yeah, so basically, yeah. this has taken two years. Hawkman issue four was published... August 64, and then JLA published in December 66. Yes, yeah, so just so over two know, years. Six stories told over just over two years. Yeah. Outstanding. But imagine you were just picking up random issues and you saw one of the chapters and didn't yeah. see any of the other ones. Yeah. So. Right, so we'll now take a look at the reader reaction to the issue of JLA. This is from um, issue 54. The JLA mailroom, once again. Really great uh, naming. <laughs> First letter. Dear editor, you law, Ellie Pratsum which is uh, backwards for... Oh, yeah, holy masterpiece. Yes. These are the first words that came to mind after finishing the Zatanna epic in Justice League of America 51. He actually uses backwards magic, uh, backwards words a lot in this, so he just translates, just yep. for convenience. <laughs> I'll be able to say something of greater import as soon as my <laughs> eyeballs turn right side out. <laughs> After trying to read the Mystic Myths backwards incantations. I must say you fellows are very prompt. I previously wrote, asking for an occasional change of feminine landscape, and here it is. It'll do Wonder Woman the world of good to ease up for a while. Keep her from overexposure. Now, if <laughs> now if only Batman could take that hint. Oh, nothing has changed in 50 years, has it? It's just that it seems strange how no matter what scientist's part in the story, the Cape Crusader's always the hero on the cover. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Ignoring the misrepresentative cover... 
Uh, Z as in Zatanna and Zero Hour was the best story you've had all year. I admired the way Gardner Fox wove the previous Satana tales in other magazines into this story, and the fact that the JLers who aided her were only magical duplicates helped my interest throughout the mag, for I was sure something unusual would happen to them that couldn't have occurred to their real selves. The addition of the elongated man was an extra treat. It was. It then talks about, about the art before finishing up with the sugar coating in the whole issue was the listing of the Justice Society members in the extra department. Do you think you can feature Red Tornado and Johnny Thunder together in the next GLA GSA team up? It ought to be wild. Now, should we actually give the editorial response here because it is a bit spoilery for. Um, let's have a quick look. We go blah, 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 blah. No, we're not going to mention. Okay. We'll have to wait and see. And the next letter. Yep. Dear editor, there is indeed something magical about Zatanna. Her presence in a story almost ensures its success. Zed, as in Zatanna and Zero, had a good title, an excellent plot, and was the best GLA story of the year. I mean, that's high praise, isn't it? Coming in at the end of December 66 and all mm-hmm. that. So, you know, I quite enjoyed it. We haven't done it yet, but I'm a big fan of the JLA team up, JSA team up from that. So, that's, um, mm-hmm. I would have said that was anyway, okay, personal preference. There were many worthwhile points in the story. I was especially glad to see the elongated man making a stretching appearance in this issue, although I hope next time it will be a much longer appearance. Batman, of course, had to be in the story, and the outsider bit was a clever idea on writer Fox's part. Nope. <laughs> the crowning touch was where Zatanna fought with the magical counterparts of the JLA and not the real members themselves, which added a very original touch to the novel. My last comment concerns Zatanna. Don't retire her now. She should continue to make guest appearances in various DC magazines, but without Daddy Zatanna. And the very abrupt response to that is the next reader goes even further. It's not even a response at all. The next reader goes even further in his request for more Zatanna appearances. Dear editor, well, you finally came out with the JLA featuring Zatanna. But did you have to give Batman top billing in the cover? Didn't you ever hear of ladies before gentlemen? The story was a good, in quotes, fox hunt. (laughs) It did just what it was intended for, to find Zatanna's dad with a lot of action along the way. The story lacked mystery though. I got the impression that everyone was on a picnic, rather than the serious business of looking for a father who was lost for some 20 years. I wish you would get the idea in your heads that that Zatanna is a girl of mystery, rather than some happy-go-lucky playgirl. You scared me with that last panel where you have her dad say, well, for a while, we're just going to get acquainted. Oh my, no time for that. There's too much evil afoot. Why, in her own mag, she can get Dr. Fate's magic back from the Zero Zubies. After that, she has to vanquish the seven sorceresses of sin in the limbo land of Lou. Mm. Then there's the mysterious Banshee. I think he's making a lot of this up. I think so. Evil, evil everywhere. There's just no end of it. And we're just going to have to get old lovable Zatanna on her way to try and put a stop to some of it. What I wouldn't give to see on the newsstands next month, a big banner with the word Zatanna. What a way to start the new year in comicdom. Now, assuming that this wonderful magic dream will come to pass, let me make one more tiny suggestion. Eliminate the tails in Zatanna's coat. This will save your <laughs> artists a lot of time in drawing and inking. And will also save considerable printing costs. Sure. Yes. And best of all, Zatanna looks much better without tails. So that winds up everything from the mid-60s. But many years later, there was a prequel story in an issue of DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest, which generally was a reprint title, but had the odds new thing in it here and there yeah so peter's going to talk us quickly through that one so this is dc special blue ribbon digest issue five with the cover date november december 1980 on sale date of august the 14th 1980 and the story is called the secret spell it's a nice short 10 page story it kicks off with zatanna and her full stage magician outfits arriving at shadowcrest the home of zatanna her father 
He's been missing for days and she finds the house in disarray. There's papers everywhere, the phone ripped off the wall. In her hunt to find out what's happened, she finds the diary of John Zatara, her father. And she reads it to find some clues. The final entry is from March the 13th and it says, The damage is done and cannot be undone. Thus I must flee my home and pray Zatanna does not find me. Zatanna decides to read the diary from the start to try and figure out what happened. Because that's what you do. It must be a magical diary as it's not that big. And it starts at Zatanna's 15th birthday. And we find out Zatanna's actual birth name is Giovanni Zatanna. His grandfather Luigi gives him for his birthday a box of magic tricks, which inspires Zatara to take up being a stage magician. So for the next few years, he studies magic and becomes a rather mediocre stage magician, playing to mostly unimpressed crowds. One day, in a bookshop, he finds a copy of a mirror journal belonging to Leonardo da Vinci. Da Vinci, of course, was famous for writing uh, backwards, so that you can only be read in a mirror. And Zatara is intrigued because uh, Leonardo da Vinci apparently is an ancestor of his. He takes it home and he translates the book and finds that if he says the words as written, it commands things to happen. For example, he can make a mannequin move by talking backwards. During his stage performance that night, there's a fire and Zatara uses his uh, backwards magic to command buckets of sand to extinguish the flames. The crowd go wild and think it's part of the act. The diary goes on to say he continued using his powers and fought crime, as you do. Zatanna closes the diary and wonders if she can do it too. She speaks backwards and magically lights the fire in the fireplace. So this is obviously the first time she's actually used actual magic as opposed to stage magic. She wants to try and use her newly discovered powers to find her father. And this takes us right into the start of Zatanna's search. The artwork in that is lovely though. It is, yes. Who, who drew it? Romeo, sorry. It Just was uh, Romeo Tangal. Right. It's lovely. Uh, Jerry Conway, obviously. It's uh, a shame it's, it's a shame it's sort of, you know, in, in the digest in that yeah, size. Yeah, it would have been so good. Um, I'm trying to track down a copy of Zatanna's set, which reprints the whole thing, so maybe it'll be in that. You know, well, you never know. I'll keep you posted, listeners. So, let's go into the big debate. Mm-hmm. Zatara. Yep. Earth 1, Earth 2. Now, obviously this story takes place in Earth 1. Yep. His original stories were from 1938, mm-hmm. is when it first got published. Yep. So, David, tell me, what Pizza. are your thoughts on Zatara? Where is he from? Is he Earth 1? Is he Earth 2? Is he neither? Is he both? Well, you know, like we said at the start, the general sort of feeling is that if they were published in the Golden Age, they were on Earth 2, but there's nothing in this story at all that says anything about Zatara migrating or changing Earths. So my feeling at the moment is that Zatara who we meet in this story is you know, a time-served adventurer magician, but he, he's Earth One. He, this is definitely Earth One, I entirely agree. Yeah. There are a couple of super, well, super boy and a super baby story. Yeah, that's in, right. In the, uh-huh. far, in the yep. far future of the show, yep. uh, that show him pretty much inexperienced, mm-hmm. a fledgling crime fighter. And yeah, that I mean, kind I mean, of backs up the whole theory uh-huh. of he wasn't an established crime fighter. Because obviously, when yeah. he first appears in 1938, he's... Master of Magic, that's yes, him. Yes, of course. And it, and it fits in with the idea that Superboy is the young version of the Earth One Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. So that front, that backs all that up. And, you know, but we're, get, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves as far as using that as, as evidence. Also, the other question raised is, does that mean that there is only one Zatara and he's always been in Earth One? 
It doesn't necessarily. It, it? doesn't because we later on we will see Zatara in All Star Squadron. That's right. There is you know, not, he, not majorly, but yes, yeah, he, he certainly yeah. doesn't. He pops up in the lineups and all that sort of stuff. I mm-hmm. can't I can't think of him doing very much at all, to be honest. because Doctor Fate really carries all the the magical heavyweight stuff in that yeah. book. Every Golden Age character that we've been reintroduced to, whilst we've been doing the podcast so far, everyone who we met has been established as being on Earth Two. Yes, we've obviously we've talked about. Different Crimson Avenger, we've talked about different Starmen, but we're not mm. really too fussed about them. But at the minute, as it stands, based really primarily on the fact there's no mention of changing Earths, no mention of Earths at all, and Hawkman, having heard of him, as he says in issue four, mm-hmm. this is a guy who is native to Earth 1. Absolutely, yes. Definitely. Okay. Well, I'm glad, we've, I'm glad we agreed on that. There we are. Obviously, you know, there are uh, other characters who have counterparts on both worlds, like as a Superman contained publication all the way through. That's right. Yeah, uh, he is pretty we're much gonna, the same. We're going to meet. You know, not before too long, we will meet the Earth Two Superman. Mm-hmm. The Earth Two Batman will pop up. The Earth yes. Two Robin is going to appear very very, very soon. soon. Uh-huh. And there are a few other characters who, mm-hmm. which we're not who we won't mention just yet. Yeah, who we're pretty sure there are Earth One and Earth Two equivalents of both of them. But we'll we'll get to them eventually. And yeah, we'll go over all that once we come to them. It's fair to say that there is quite a lot of debate about the the origins of certain characters throughout the Silver Age and Bronze Age yes. to which Earth they, they emerged on. We're going to address that as we go using just the comics as published as the text. Yeah. We're, we you know we're not going to do a huge amount of extrapolate sort of thinking. We're no. just going to see this is what the comics say. Mm-hmm. This is what we think. And at the moment, Zatanna Earth One. There'll be a few other guys. It's going to be a bit trickier. Yes. We'll yeah we'll get there eventually. Well, certainly that's our theories, and we've put over reasons why. What are your theories? Mm. Uh, please get in touch with us. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think of Zatanna's search. Are you excited she's here? Are you excited Zatanna's here? Uh, let us know. You can email us at the Earth Two Podcast at gmail dot com. You can follow us on Facebook at the Earth Two Podcast, and also on Instagram at the Earth Two Podcast. And we're on Twitter at podcast underscore Earth2. So you can find us there as well. And as ever, we'll post some significant panels from the stories up on our social media so you can check them out. Absolutely. So, yes, that's uh, Zatanna Search. Zatanna Search. Yeah. That's the most comics we've done. We've covered in one episode, isn't it? Yeah. As I said, a bit of a shake-up of the format. Yeah, let us know what you thought of that. There, well. there is no format. <laughs> on that note... Uh, Thank been, you for listening. Yes. He's been Peter Watson. And uh, he's been David Steele. And we'll see you next time on the Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. No mention of Batman.